righty. Well, there's too many of them to recap everything and to talk about <laughs> where we've been. So I encourage you, if today's your first time, uh, to go to our website and, and listen to the podcast on Revelations from Rest, as I've been sharing for several, several weeks now about um, my journey and my wife's journey that we went on is uh, when we went on our sabbatical this summer and uh, all the healing that God was, was doing and is still doing um, in us. It's not over. <laughs> I wish, so wish there was a magic wand. Oh my goodness, but there isn't. The Bible doesn't even promise you that. It's a, it's a path. It's a journey. It's a walking it out and keep walking it out and keep walking it out. Amen? And uh, you, get so, you, you, you take some ground <laughs> and then you maybe lose some ground. And you take some more ground and then you sometimes lose some ground. And it's just, it's just the way it is. We're just, we're, we're little, little bitty people on this planet, and uh, fortunately, God has given us all the resources we need to walk out this life called Christianity, amen? Everything you need is actually already inside you. Maybe they're in a seed form, but it is there for your access and for mine. Sometimes we just need to know how to till up the soil the right way and how to water it the right way and what kind of fertilizer does this seed need to grow. And that's what this kind of stuff is. The things that we're talking about, healing, deliverance. It's about learning of the, how the Bible teaches us how to get free from everything. Amen? I had a dream last night, and I'll, I'll share it um, And I don't know why I just got emotional about it. Because <laughs> there's nothing really emotional in the dream except I understand the context when the Holy Spirit told it to me. Um, I was walking into what looks, it was kind of felt like a mall um, type of their shops and, and stuff, I guess. Um, but my attention was focused on a, a group of children. And they were little guys. I mean, little guys, you know. They, they could talk, um, walk, um, I don't know, I would say four or five, six-year-olds maybe, I don't know. But I, I walked up, and two of them were fighting each other, and it was, a, it was very bad. I mean, this was a violent, I have never seen little children be so violent towards one another. And I was shocked, I was amazed, I was heartbroken. And so, and, and, and there are other kids that standing around watching it, and this, this, this boy and this girl, I mean, they were trying to kill each other. And it was just, it was dark. And I'm, I see no parents anywhere. Not one mom or dad anywhere. And so, so I'm like, so I insert myself into this, into this situation. And I, I pull them apart, and I'm just in, so indignant that there's no mom and dad around. And so I take, I, I, for some reason, I kind of focus on, I, the one in my right hand is a boy. And I go, and, and I speak as tenderly as I can, and I said, I said, listen, we need to go. We need to go find your mom, and you need to get with your mom. And he's like, I don't, I don't want to. And I said, come on, we're going. We're going to go find your mom. we got to find your mom so she can take care of you. And I walk around, I don't know, a, sh a, a shop or something, and I walk through a door, and then I walk into this other little space. I don't even know what it is. It's like a room that's more like a closet and I walk in there, and there's a lady just laying down on a bench right there. And I knew it was this child's guardian, but I knew it wasn't his parent because it was a different race. So I knew, wow, this child is a foster child. And this woman was just laying there and just lounging, 
and she had a cigarette, and she was completely disengaged. And, and then I have, and then, so the girl comes in with me, and the girl walks up to the mom, to the, step, to the foster parent, and the foster parent takes a long drag and then hands the little girl the cigarette to take a hit off of it. And this is like a three or four or five-year-old little girl. And I slap the woman, <laughs> I said. <laughs> I said, you take that away from her mouth. Don't you dare. Don't you dare do that to her. And, I'm, and so I start to plead with this woman to, to care. And she could care less. And these two children were orphaned. And that was, that was in, and I wake up, and I can just feel the Holy Spirit just saying, there's so many orphans here. And there's, no, there's not many spiritual moms and dads. And so we've all attached ourselves to foster parents who could give a rip. And so I, I feel like the Lord's saying to us, it's time, church. It's time for us to be serious about being spiritual moms and dads. If you're in this house and you're 40 years or older, you should be spiritually parenting someone. You should. If you're 30 or 20 or in your teens, you should be working towards it as well. But if you're here and you don't have a spiritual son and daughter, you're not doing it right. And I say that because my heart breaks, not to make you feel bad, not to hurt your feelings. It's because there's something in heaven that needs to come to the earth when it comes to spiritual moms and dads. And if you think it's time to retire, you're wrong again. So I'm begging us as a, as a community of faith to please, please care about someone besides yourself. Please care about someone besides yourself. And I think what we're talking about, what I've been sharing on, is it's to equip us to not have more information, not to do more navel-gazing, not to do more, oh, what's wrong with me? I gotta get fixed. It's to get fixed for a purpose. The goal is for you to help fix someone else. That's why we're doing this. We're raising an army, not just a nursery. So, got that off my chest, okay. So let's talk about demons. So if you missed last week, we talked about kind of where demons come from, how Satan became Satan, um, it's kind of the origins thing. Um, so today I'm going to continue talking on this topic of, of demons and demonic oppression, and I feel great at liberty to do this because Jesus taught about Satan. Jesus taught about demons. He taught about the kingdom of darkness. Paul taught about the kingdom of darkness. Peter, the John in the book of Revelation really clearly teaches and shows us about what's going on with the enemy. So I don't want to major on this stuff. I don't like to have to talk about it, but we're ignorant because all we know is what Hollywood has taught us about demons. And that's a ridiculous education. It glorifies the power of darkness. Yeah, I know, you could justify it and say, yeah, but the good guy wins. I know, but it, it, the whole movie 
It's designed to scare and intimidate and to exploit and to glorify darkness when the bumbling fool at the end finally gets it right. I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. We are demon busters. We are on a hunt. We are giant killers. We are trample them under our feet, people. And so we've got to know a little bit about our enemy. So we know how to fight him well. Because he's a legalist. He knows the Bible better than you. And he knows every angle better than you do. So again, I talked about last week, Satan, possible theories of the origins of demons. Today, I want to take a closer look at the characteristics of demons and how they enter and oppress people and how we can start to maybe, I don't know, we probably won't get there, how to kick them out. But again, last week, I I briefly mentioned some of the characteristics of demons. Uh, Today, I want to look at some of the scriptural support for uh, those characteristics that we looked at. And, and many, many, many times, demons have very similar characteristics uh, to humans, which is why it's, it's often difficult to identify demonic behavior and influence in our lives because it looks like human behavior. Got me? So again, if, if we solely rely on Hollywood to teach us on the demonic, then we will be convinced that demons only manifest their will in our lives in the most overt and grotesque ways. You know, grotesque. We think that's how demons, that's how we know if someone's demon, demonized, if someone's oppressed by the devil. Their head will spin and they'll pee, you know, spit out pea green soup. That's how we know, right? That's how I can tell if people, only those people deal with demons. No. No, I'm sorry. You know, it would make it much easier to identify, you know, who's influenced by a demon if everyone was talking in some kind of guttural, sinister voice, you know, and their eyes were rolling back in their head all the time. I mean, that would make it real easy to do deliverance ministry. We go, oh, you, you got something. No, I do not. Leave me alone. I'm pretty sure you do. <laughs> it would make deliverance a lot easier. I'm just, just saying, you know. But the truth is, Hollywood is mostly wrong. Demons love to operate in hiddenness. Demons like to operate, operate in hiddenness. They prefer to, to work through us by subtle suggestions. They like to influence us by subtle thoughts or ideas. Demons are very very patient. They have incredible amount of patience. They have a plan. And their goal is to erode our lives little by little until we are completely broken and ready to die. That's the agenda. Little by little. Subtle thought by subtle thought, they will wear us down. And if a person is not a Christian, the goal of the demonic is to keep them from believing the truth that Jesus is the only way for salvation. If a person is born again, then the demon's goal is to keep them from living free and victorious. 
never accomplishing the will of God for their lives. Did you hear that? If you're born again, the goal of the demonic is to keep you from living free and victorious so that you will never accomplish the will of God for your life. So as I said before, demons have very similar characteristics to humans. The first being, and here's where you might want to start taking notes, is that demons have a will. Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 and 44 says, When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places, seeking rest, and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. So in this passage, it shows us clearly that uh, demons can exercise their own will. And not only can they exercise, but they can follow it up with corresponding action. So, so one of the key characteristics of the demonic is that they have a will just like you and I. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to get you to do this. I want to influence you for that. God bless those little babies. We love the babies. They're just, mm. Love them, love them, love them. So demons have a will that they exercise. Now, not only does demon... Uh, does the demonic have a will, but they also have emotions. James chapter 2, in verse 19, says, You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. So, Shudder, tremble, whatever translation your Bible says, usually that, that shuddering, that trembling is an outward mark of strong emotion. Just like it is in for people. You know, we see the cartoons where the knees are knocking, right? You know, they're, uh. I meet with people and talk to people and sometimes they're just trembling. I don't know why, <laughs> but they do. Because there's some emotion going on there. So demons, they also can express emotion. They can also quake when they hear the name of Jesus. Another characteristic that demons have is they have intellect. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 24. It says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. And the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So, what do we learn from this? That demons have an intellect. See, from this passage, we learn that demons have knowledge that's not derived from natural sources. The first time uh, Jesus confronted a demonized man in the synagogue in Capernaum, and the demon spoke out of that guy, he says, you know, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. 
That's amazing information. Do you realize that it was um, more than a year before this happened, this moment happened, more than a year before the disciples began to even realize who Jesus was? These demons knew something that took these guys a long time to figure out. So demons have an intellect, and they use it. Another characteristic of demons is they have self-awareness. In Mark chapter 5, verses 9 and 10, it says, Jesus asked him, speaking to the demon, What is your name? Well, my name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. So, Jesus asked this demonized man in the country of um, Gardenarines. <laughs> he says, what's your name to this demon? And the demon answered, on behalf of itself and behalf of the other demons that were with him. My name is Legion, for we are many. And so the demon was aware both of his own identity and he was aware of the identity of the other demons that were occupying this man. So it's important for us to realize that demons have a self-awareness, just like we do. And another important characteristic is that demons have the ability to speak. I mean, as we just read in the previous passage um, of Scripture, that demons have the ability to use their voice. In fact, over and over in Scripture, um, demons speak to Jesus and the other disciples. And they have a voice, and they use it to interface with humanity. Now, how they speak is not always as blatant as we read in the Bible. Most of the time, demons are speaking to you and I as individuals. And when demons speak to us individually, they like to speak in first person. Everybody know what first person is? Remember English class. Okay, I'll teach if you don't remember. First person is I. We speak in I, right? I want to go to the store. I love that picture. I think this is wonderful. I hate you. That would be a demon. No, you can have that thought too. But when demons speak... They love to speak to us individually, and they love to speak in the first person. So, yes, it's possible a demon could say, I hate that person. I hate that she's always up there. You know? Demons will say things like, you know, no one loves me. I'm a loser. Maybe they'll say something like, you know, I just, I just need to get high today. They love to speak in that first person. Because they, they, they do that so that it seems like it's my idea. You know, I mean, think about it. If you constantly heard a voice, you know, in your head say, you should die. <laughs> you should reject that person. You're a loser. Right? I mean, I don't know about you. I might get a little suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> and some people do. Sometimes it's, the manifestation is so intense, they do hear. And it's now voices in their head.
So demons can speak that way, but for most of us, it's I this, I that. I should this, I shouldn't that. I should stay in bed. I'm not going to forgive that person. The most common way they speak is in a way so that they can hide themselves from our detection. That's why I said a few weeks ago that we need to be testing our self-talk. Several weeks ago. Remember that? Remember how to test if what I'm hearing and thinking is good information, the right thing I should be hearing and thinking? You imagine someone's in front of you and you're helping them. You're trying, you're, you want to encourage them. You, wanna, you want good things for them. So take what your thoughts are and then can you imagine yourself saying that to that person? I mean, think how many times a day you say, I'm a failure. Imagine someone's in front of you and they're struggling. Would you take that and say, you know, you're just a failure? I mean, that sounds crazy. How many times do you think I'm a loser? Well, would you say, hey, you know what? You're a loser. You're right. No one does love you. That's ridiculous. But yet we let that stuff go on and on and on in our heads. I'm never going to get out of debt. Would you tell someone, you know what? You're probably never going to get out of debt. You'll never have a good job. You'll never make better money. You'll never get educated. You'll never find someone to love. I mean, how much of that would you tell someone else? If you won't say it to someone else, then why are you saying it to yourself? And don't think that the demons aren't helping on that one. Now, sometimes they get blatant. Sometimes they'll just zing a thought that's so out from left field that you just go, where did that come from? Anybody have that thought happen? It's, and they're just throwing a curveball. They're just like, we just wanted to try that one. <laughs> just, you know, if you're having a bad hair day, if maybe you'd even entertain that thought. Most of the time we go, whoa, no, I would never kill my wife. That's ridiculous. <laughs> There's jail. <laughs> my children would be orphaned. <laughs> you know, I mean, but sometimes the, those, those critters, they'll just wing one across. It's just wild pitch. <laughs> I'm going to hit it whether I get it or not. So what are you saying to yourself? What are you hearing yourself say? It's not always you. Maybe that'll help you tame your self-talk a little bit. Maybe if you'll assume that there's someone who hates me who's trying to destroy my life and they're feeding me these thoughts, you might take a little more violent approach to it. I mean, if it was a real person and they had a gun to your head and they said, you better say, I hate myself or I'll kill you. We'd hate that thought. We would reject it. No, I don't, I'm not going to say that. Well, you know, reject Jesus then. Or I'll kill you. No, I'm not doing that. Take my life. But how many thoughts do you have in a day that do prove I've rejected Christ? That, that look like I'm not a Christian. So think about what you're saying and hearing. Assume it's your enemy and say, enough. Enough. Whether it's me or the enemy, enough. That's a lie. So let's talk for a minute about how demons gain access to people. And I think it's very understandable for us to see demons as bullies who can some randomly you know, attack people on a whim. I think that's understandable. 
And certainly demons do target people, um, and specifically people who are serious about serving God and advancing the kingdom of God. But more commonly, demons frequently gain entrance into our lives through an open door. And when I speak of an open door, um, I'm speaking about a figurative door, okay? It's the figurative door of our heart to our soul. In fact, the Bible um, speaks about how our heart acts like a door to our soul. If you go to Genesis chapter 4, you can see the first time that this is spoken of. Starting in verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right... Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. I mean, here's Cain. He's he's angry. He's ticked off because his brother's offering was accepted and, and his was not. And the Lord is trying to help his, his baby boy. His son is trying to teach him in this moment. If you're not careful, son, guard your heart. Because if you're not careful, sin is at your door. And it wants to have you. Revelation chapter 3. Starting in verse 19, it says, Those... This is Jesus speaking. He says, those whom I love, I rebuke, and I discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Someone say, amen. Jesus can have dinner at my house any day he wants. Can he have dinner at your house anytime he wants? So from these two passages, we can see that, that both Jesus and demons enter our lives through open doors. Now Jesus is a gentleman. He'll stand and knock. While demons are crouching and hiding, waiting for that door to slip open so they can shoot in. Do you notice that? Jesus says, hi, I'm here. Can I come in? Oh, yeah, come on in, Jesus. I've been waiting for you. When it comes to demons, there are several ways that we can open the door to them. For them to come and oppress us. And one of which we've already talked about. In the beginning of this series, I talked about generational curses. Some demons come down our family line. And they're just waiting for us to sin like mom and dad did. Like grandma or grandpa did. They're just waiting. They're putting pressure on the door, trying to see how, how, how strong is this door. Maybe I could force it open a little bit. But a lot of times, demons come down through generational curses and sins. And, and this is really, uh, it's particularly true when it comes to demons of uh, fear. And rejection comes down the family line. Rebellion comes down the family line. Stuff like anger and rage and shame. Sexual perversion. Control and abandonment. 
Those demons come down the family line and they're able to enter sometimes even a very early age because of the legal ground that the ancestors before you gave them. And because of the curses resulting from generational sin or, or because of uh, maybe someone even cursed your family line, these demons, they're able to pass from generation to generation to carry out this curse on your life. And the cycle continues as uh, the demons put pressure on us to enter into the same sins as our parents and their parents or their parents before. And when we yield to that pressure, then that sin becomes our own. And we give legal right for the demons to oppress us. good example where we can see this actually working is in 2 Samuel chapter 3. It's an example of having a family, a whole family line cursed. 2 Samuel chapter 3 verse 27. Now when Abner returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside into the gateway as though to speak with him privately and there to avenge the blood of his brother Asahel, Joab stabbed him in the stomach and he died. Later, when David heard about this, he said, I and my kingdom are forever innocent before the Lord concerning the blood of Abner, son of Ner. May his blood fall upon the head of Joab and upon all his father's house. May Joab's house never be without someone who, is, who has a running sore or leprosy or who leans on a crutch or who falls by the sword or who lacks food. Whoa. That's a curse. And until or unless someone in this family line has repented and said, enough. I bet there's someone, an ancestor of this guy somewhere who's sick, never has enough food, or being persecuted, harassed. This is an example of David cursing Joab and his entire family line because Joab deceptively killed Abner after David had entered into an agreement with him. And this was the starting point. This was the entry point where demons were given legal right to enter the family and carry out this spoken curse. And this curse and its accompanying demons will continue to move relentlessly down through the generations until it's finally broken and the demons are cast off. This is serious stuff. Another way that we can open the door and probably is the most common way that we open the door um, is through sin. Sins of our flesh. We most frequently open doors to demons through the sins that we commit. Demons gain entry into our lives most often when we sin. And this is especially true when the sin is repeated and repeated and repeated until now it's a pattern for that person. And that pattern leading to a lifestyle of now indulging in the flesh. And I want you to know, sin does not have to be exotic to provide an opening 
for demons. The average common sins we commit will do the job just fine as far as demons are concerned. It's the lie you tell every day. It's the cheating at work that you do. It's the unforgiveness that we just won't let go of. Weakness of the flesh, because we're all weak, but, but the weakness of our flesh and demons will co-labor together to keep a vicious cycle going in our life. We sin, and then demons come and they help influence us to continue to sin. We open the door once, and then now they're there. Come on, do it again, do it again, do it again. Click on that website one more time. You're almost there. That's what it's like. They put persistent pressure on us. They speak in the first person and they put those thoughts in our head. It's okay. Go ahead, lie about that a little bit. It's just a little one. So here's some common areas where we tend to indulge the sins of our flesh. I think we'll just go in alphabetical order, maybe. We'll start with anger. When we give ourselves permission to vent our anger upon others, can open the door for demons to oppress us, especially if our anger leads to violence. Another one is fear. The Bible clearly teaches us, fear not. Everybody say, fear not. Fear and worry often lead to sinful ways of coping with life. And I know because that's been an issue in my life. And since there are as many types as fear as there are possible ways to be injured or killed, um, there are many opportunities for demonic activity when it comes to this area in our life. Another sin of the flesh is greed, or you could call it covetousness. Greed, covetousness, whatever. Yet again, the Bible tells us we are to not covet our neighbor, their stuff, their spouse, nothing. In fact, we're warned that there are severe consequences if we covet other people's stuff. 1 Timothy chapter 6, Verse 9 says that people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Do you see how dangerous greed is? It can take you right out of the faith. Another one is jealousy or envy. Jealousy, envy, Proverbs 14.30 says that envy is rottenness to your bones and it will make us sick. Another sin is rebellion. 
1 Samuel chapter 15, starting in verse 22. So Samuel said, Has the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in the obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now that first one was okay. I, yeah, I could get that rebellion's like witchcraft, but just being a stubborn old kook is like idolatry. Being stubborn is that big of a deal? I don't make it up. I just read it. Here's another huge one. Pride. Pride, which is um, the original sin of, of Satan, leads to so many wrong actions. It's often uh, the sin that's most hidden from us, too. It's hard to identify. And usually if someone tries to tell it to us, we end up trying to punch them in the mouth. I don't have pride. You got pride for telling me I got pride. (laughs) You're the proud one. Look at you telling me, judging me. You're not a judger. Don't be a judger. The Bible says don't judge. <laughs> yes, in the nursery Bible you read from, yes, we don't judge. <laughs> but when you read the other parts, it says the spiritual judge all things. What you mean is don't hate on me. Don't condemn me to that point where I can't change. See, that's what the enemy does. He points out our flaws and he tells you it's hopeless. This is who you are. You're going to stay here. Just indulge in it. God says, this is wrong, but we can get through this. We're going to get over this. We're going to deal with your pride. We're going to deal with your anger. We're going to deal with your greed. This doesn't define you. This is a, a nasty scab that we just need to rip off. It does hurt. So God brings conviction that brings hope. The enemy brings condemnation that brings hopelessness. So there's a whole bunch of other sins we could have, you know, lust, gluttony, gossip, strife, bitterness, self-righteousness, Critical spirit, unforgiveness. I mean, any, any one of these ordinary sins, when we practice them over and over and over and over, they have the power to open up doors for the demonic to oppress us. Another very dangerous way that we open the door is through the occult. Occult involvement is the major form of idolatry. In fact, the word occult means hidden. Occult involvement means that we are usually, we're looking for knowledge and power in hidden sources. We're looking for power, knowledge, in some source other than the one true living God. And when you get in the occult and you start looking for power, for knowledge that didn't come from God, the slippery slope 
usually brings us to a place of allegiance to these power sources, to this dark knowledge. Eventually, it'll lead to your worship of it. See, participation in the occult, it, it, when you boil it down, it amounts to rebellion against God himself. And many times it's driven by a lust for power through knowledge or control. And, and, and a lot of times occult involvement is it's like drug use. It's like sexual sin. It's progressive. It, it, it ends up taking more and more to be satisfied. People start out with something mild, you know, things like astrology. I like to check out my horoscope. But then it progresses to something more serious. And then eventually, we can end up in witchcraft. And when you're in that level, you're being put in contact with some serious level demons. So the occult is a huge way that we open the door. I mean, you know, demons, they can even enter when we just dabble in the occult, through ignorance. I mean, they don't care. They just don't care. That, oh, I didn't know. Well, that's okay. We'll take care of you. We still have a plan. We still want to destroy you. It's okay. You're, you were ignorant. They don't care that you didn't know. You dabbled in ignorance, and that's the crack in the door. That's all they needed. Unfortunately, Ignorance is no excuse. Heck, the police will tell you that. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. You will pay the fine. I didn't know the speed limit was 40. Probably so. I can't pay this. I know. You know, but there's a lot of activities that we get into that we seem like are, are relatively minor, you know. Uh, harmless fun, you know. We did a seance, ooh. You know, we did light as a feather, stiff as a board, ooh. It's not all harmless. We took a, uh, we took a, a ring and we tied it to a piece of hair and we put it over your belly and we waited to see it, which way it rotated. Because if it goes one way, it's a girl, and it goes the other, it's a boy. I'll sing one that I know will probably, you'll go, what? Water witching. You got the two sticks, and you're looking for water on your farm. And when those sticks go, yink. I mean, they call it water witching for a reason. I mean, I didn't make that term up. Everything, all that little bitty stuff that we dabble in, opens the door, provides an opportunity for demonic entry. And you know what? God hates the occult. He hates it. Leviticus 20, verse 27 a man or woman who is a medium or spiritist among you must be put to death. You are to stone them. Their blood will be on their own heads. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 19 says, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, 
fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then we've got Revelation chapter 21. Verse 8 says, The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. This is how God feels about the kingdom of darkness. This is, this is when, when we practice these things and we make a lifestyle out of this stuff. And we become so filled and polluted. It's bad stuff. This is why we are bringing the kingdom of light yes. to the world. But you've got to be full of light. Full. Bible says clean on the inside. That's where we're going. So the occult is one of the most dangerous ways that we can open doors for demons to enter and oppress us. And we have to stay clear of any and all power or special gifts that do not come from the Holy Spirit. You with me? And just to wrap it up, there's a few, just a couple other ways. I won't go into detail. I'll just mention them. Uh, but some other ways that demons can gain access is things like illness. I mean, Jesus, in fact, healed many people of illness by casting out a demon. Another way is emotional trauma. That's another way that demons can oppress us. Things like rape, death, war, abortion, or any other kind of emotionally damaging event. You know, those, those soul hurts, you know. Any one of those can open us up to demonic oppression. Drug use. Drug use is another way. Many times drugs that we abuse or use that alter our mind, that open up our mind, can open us up to demonic oppression. And I can't tell you the number of people in my old days who tripped on acid and saw some stuff. Heck, even a few of my buddies who just smoked some weed from time to time had some experiences. I've talked to people who were on a prescription drug that's legal, and the doctor gave it to me. But it opened them up to something dark that they had to get rid of. Anything that we do that puts us in a passive state of mind can open us up for demonic oppression. Okay, well, we're going to stop right there. Next week, we're going to talk about freedom. I've already told you a lot of how you're going to get free from this stuff in all the previous weeks. When we deal with our generational stuff, when we get rid of the lies that we believe, when we get healing in our emotions, well, then the last step's really easy. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. So let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for truth and for light. Lord, I pray anything that I said that was 
um, misunderstood, that you would bring light to it. Pray anything, God, that I said that wasn't right. Just let them forget about it. And God, everything that we said that's right and true, let it sink deep into our hearts today so that we can be the army of demon-busting, kingdom-advancing Christians that you've called us to be, God. So Lord, I bless us with no fear, no doubt, no unbelief. We walk in truth and power. We are a people who have the armor of God on. We are a people who know the truth of God. We are people who are a free people, bringing freedom to the captives as you called us to do, God. And we love you for this, Father. And we thank you, God, for giving us the Holy Spirit to accomplish your will. We love you, we honor you, and we praise you, God, in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. If you need prayer, we'll have the altar team up here. Have a great week.